Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Cattlecast. Today I will be chatting to Lisa Morgans about how to set up some farmer groups and some hints and tips to running successful farmer meetings. I apologise if the sound isn't perfect but hope it doesn't distract you from your listening. So then Lisa, over to you. Uh, so I'm Lisa Morgans, I'm um, Head of Livestock at Innovation for Agriculture. Um, we're an independent knowledge exchange charity based in the UK, put work all over the place. And I'm really interested in facilitating change. So how did you get to that job? What have you been up to previously? Finished vet school from the University of Bristol back in 2013. And I was hell-bent on being like a practitioner. I liked a bit of everything. I like to think I was a bit like margarine. Sort of fairly okay at most things. Um, <laughs> so I went into mixed practice down in Cornwall, which you know, had this sort of romantic ideal in Cornwall. It is a lovely place. Uh, worked down there for a few years um, and realised quite quickly that I found small animal practice really boring, but I really enjoyed farm animal practice. And that was a steep learning curve, for sure. Um, I was probably better at like small animals and had a lot more to learn farm animals to start with, but I much preferred the farm vet client relationship and sort of population health stuff. Um, and I started setting up um, like farm walks and farm client clubs and stuff around dairy, herd health and sort of beef diseases. Um, and I really enjoyed those. I got a lot from the clients getting together because it was quite telling when you have sort of six clients along a coast road in Cornwall, all sort of within a mile or two. And you're like, when did you last see and Bob up the road? And they're like, oh, years ago. And you're like, so yeah. I thought, right, that's it. Going to bring everyone together because they're not listening to me. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I started doing that and hadn't really planned to go into research, but bumped into one of my past lecturers at a CPD event. I told him what I'd been up to and he was like, oh, there's this PhD I've been advertised. Sounds like you enjoy it. So I looked into it and was like, wow, there's like not any statistics to be seen. And it was all about some same learning groups, as they called them then, sort of farmer learning groups around antibiotic stewardship. More and more was coming out in practice about responsible antimicrobial use. So I was quite interested in that as well. So I thought... So done and apply for it. Uh, so that was in 2016, I think. So I went in, stopped, did my PhD at Bristol University. Really loved it, to be honest. Um, had a great team. I was supervised by David May and Kristen Ryer, and it was funded by HDB Dairy and Manfred Trust. And so I did that for a few years. And then kind of always thought I'd go back into practice. And I did a bit locally while I was doing my PhD. But I got more and more into the world of a knowledge exchange and kind of half research and half practice and now I've ended up with innovation agriculture <laughs> so, a group I was aware of or a charity I was aware of and it meant I could carry on what I'd learned in my PhD and hopefully like help other vets upskill and things it's all about applying that research that is gradually being done some, yeah. so there's still some holes but it's then if it is being done how do we actually achieve it yeah exactly. not you, sitting on the shelf somewhere yeah definitely and you said one of your frustrations was obviously the farmers not doing what you were suggesting <laughs> which I think we can all agree with when I was interviewing vets for part of my research it was felt so long that maybe it's just me stuck down in my corporate practice and I wasn't doing something right but it was it was a common feeling that vets want to help their clients or to help farming be the best it can be but get frustrated when it didn't seem like anyone's listening so that made me start thinking there's lots of, you know, elements of why that might be, but I didn't feel alone then. Everyone's having a similar problem and it's actually how you communicate and um, what people need and how you interact is like a huge part of getting change. So it can be frustrating in the vet clinical world uh, to be able to shift. 
yeah no definitely and I think then you go down the hole of oh it must just be my farmers that don't listen or is it the way I'm talking yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. we've all been there yeah. <laughs> um, so with the different group structures you said you start off with the learning groups are they called different things or how do you start with that yeah so the the PhD actually advertised it as learning groups and it talked about um, an approach that has been really successful in Denmark um, and they started in the early 2000s small groups of organic dairy farmers got together with a facilitator and wanted to improve the way they use that um, so stable schools um, so that happened in the early 2000s in Denmark they were very much based on a really well institutionalized I guess model of called farmer field schools sort of based around school uh, in the name and farmers learning off one another so peer-to-peer learning the Danish approach was groups of organic dairy farmers got together, poured over each other's data, went around each other's farms and helped each other say, well, maybe you could try this. I think you're doing that really well, but maybe what about this? And they were deemed a huge success. They like, managed to reduce their mastitis and their antibiotic use, and there was no detriment in their herd health and welfare. Um, the Danish government then adopted that into legislation with part of their animal health service saying that like, you have to take part in these stable schools to carry on using antibiotics or you get your vet out more often. It's fun to have a, have a choice. So I kind of like looked at that approach for PhD and adapted it to the UK. Um, hence what the PhD application was like, learning groups, because that's ultimately what they are. But when I'm speak, speaking to farmers, they're like, well, we don't keep animals in stables. <laughs> so we came up with the fact that these were groups and we're trying to get them to make some changes and take some action on antibiotic use. So farmer action groups kind of came about. But action groups used in lots of in the other areas. I think I've seen them in Ireland and New Zealand and lots of places. So it's not a new term. And it just sets the precedent. There's going to be like some change. Everyone's work was goal. But there's lots of the farmer field schools that I mentioned. They have been around since like the late 80s. Um, and they're predominantly in Latin America, Asia, Africa. And it's a mechanism of bringing the rural communities and the sort of science or best practice together. Because they're often really remote communities that don't get access to expertise or advice or um, resources. So was, that was the way they were set up. But they become so successful and reached hundreds of countries, millions of farmers, and they're still being practiced. There's loads of research out there about them. So um, quite a good model to go and look at. Just Google farmer field schools. No, that is quite interesting because, um, as I said, I've come across the frustration of farmers maybe not taking up the services you're offering or if you want to, say, launch a new service and you sort of go down there, OK, we're going to get all these farmers together. I'm going to do a, like, two-hour really deluxe PowerPoint um, <laughs> and maybe they can have, you know, a cup of tea and a biscuit or some food at the end, but your real emphasis is on the PowerPoint access. But, again, that didn't really motivate much change. Is that what you found? Yeah. Um, this phrase that I always think of, I can't remember where I got it from, death by PowerPoint. Maybe that, that must have stemmed from vet school, I'm sure. <laughs> it can be really hard to take in a lot of information by PowerPoint. And some people are great at it, that learning style where they like just absorb a sponge um, from what they're being told. And maybe they need to be shown stuff once. But someone like myself, I know that I have to do and write and repeat <laughs> numerous times to take things in so have a very limited information uh, absorption through powerpoint so they're, they're a really good like easy to use widely accepted format of transferring information and, and knowledge they just have to be used quite like lightly in a mixture of things uh, depending on who you're talking to but i do feel 
in the sort of vet carbon world, become quite dependent on PowerPoints. And that's not just doing them, but also receiving information that way. So it can be quite um, unsettling or unusual when people try, <laughs> try and break free from the mould, which hopefully I can, I mean, I've tried to do it and learn a long ways. So I hope I can try and help people find ways to like break free from PowerPoints. Um, but saying that, I still use them. Um, they are, they've got a role in information transfer, knowledge transfer. But if you're wanting to get two-way interaction and really get people using their own knowledge, what they already know, it can, can sort of hinder that sometimes. Yeah, when I've been um, looking back at sort of the meetings I've held, I think a lot of those were actually me just dying to get the information out. I wasn't really seeing it from the farmer's viewpoint of how they were actually going to make their changes like them knowing the whole ins and outs of BVD doesn't actually make them understand when vaccination of their herd is really important you know just because you've done done this massive lovely time flow and all the buttons make lovely actions (laughs) doesn't actually tell them what they need yeah that when you put the nail on the head there what does your audience of people talk to need it doesn't even have to be in the same session say you wanted to know how best to do a session with farmers and BBD, even doing a preliminary information gathering, fact finding assault. So it could be like individual interviews or a survey or phoning someone up and just being like, what is it that's really bugging you about this? What don't you know? What do you know? Um, and then that helps you to design something that is tailored to what people already know and want. And potentially you could fiddle around different learning styles. So doing more like chatting, learning, like peer discussion and a bit of PowerPoints and cater for everybody. But it sounds like you've already sussed that. Now, once you get to the realisation, like, oh, what do people actually need? <laughs> yeah, no, it's working out what they need. Yeah. Uh, can be a bit tricky. And then I guess the next step that I think a few people will have dabbled with is the whole benchmarking meetings. Yeah. So you try and get that information in and do it that way. Whereas I think it is a bit of a, leap of faith in that there isn't all those slides to fall back on it is maybe just your five or six graphs that you picked out yeah and you just have to hope they start chatting really <laughs> no i think um that uh, one graph can tell you so much um uh, and there's it's from the vet perspective if you are worried about the sort of stony silence or not getting the reaction you get from powerpoint i think Having a few questions up your sleeve, like pre-prepared questions, open-ended, so there's some what or how or tell me about, uh, why, those all questions, based on what the graph is showing, can, you know, start, spark a whole conversation. And maybe even knowing you've presented the graph to one of the clients in the group already, you've had some idea, they've already fed back on some stuff. So you not like planting someone in the audience, but you might know a little bit more about what they think and then that can prompt. So you can say, oh, you know, Bob, you you t- said that you were quite surprised that you were like bottom of the graph or something. Do to tell us what you think? And that way you've passed the baton, so to speak. But yeah, it's one graph to tell you loads. And I think you guys do it a lot, the George Vets already. Um, but benchmarking, so powerful. I don't think I've ever seen silence following the presentation of benchmark it's that fear i think but when we first started say our beef benchmarking group which yeah. is now six years it was like you really had to ring them and get them to do their data and do yeah. that the first time it was like really hard and plant a lot of well i'm going to ask you about 
say your your calf mortality or I'm going to ask you why you chose this bull kind of thing yeah. whereas we literally had one two weeks ago and we had yeah 20 sets of data in really minimal effort and no planted questions nothing they just chatted we now don't even bother to try and you know number everyone or find these magic football teams right yeah. they're just their names because everyone yeah. they about two yeah. graphs they all say what they are anyway yeah um, that sounds yeah. really successful and they've obviously taken it on, run with it. Yeah. Yeah. When you're facilitating kind of those processes, when you get to the point where you don't really have to start conversations, you don't really have to ask the questions because they ask each other, you know you've got an empowered group and you've done the job. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> <Angling>, yeah. <laughs> it is nice. And I guess they don't have a set action. And unlike some other meetings, which is like, right, I'm going to get them to do my this service. It can go in a number of different tangents, I guess. And that's still a bit nervous, I think. But yeah, the more you do it, the easier it is. Yeah. And when you get positive feedback, you need confidence to go and try again. So the first time you're towing the water, it's a bit scarier. But I think a lot of people are, well, a lot of vets are used to discussion groups, aren't they? And they're very, the traditional form of sort of peer support in the farming sector. They're sometimes an easy way to start before maybe going into the, more structured action group model, which is much more goal-focused, much action-orientated, and it's a bit more finite. There's like a process you can you can follow and it might come to a natural conclusion, whereas discussion groups can like change and be more fluid and long-term. You can't talk around a subject. But in my personal opinion, if you want to get change on the ground and really empower people to do something, action groups are better. But discussion groups have their role to like generally find out more information, a good social support structure, but the sort of action-focused ones. If you want, say, if you in the practice you really wanted to bring down your clients' levels of lateness, that's quite objective. You can measure them. Get to count worms, I say. There are things you can measure on those farms, and you can benchmark, and everyone's working towards that goal. So that's quite nice. Rather than a discussion group would be like, we're going to talk about. And, and each time it can be something different whereas yeah. I guess with the action groups it's more that repeated visiting of the same one yeah um, around the group yeah so does the length of time vary on the topic or how many people are in the group or it is mainly dictated by the number of people in the group and how frequently they want to interact which you know, until you ask people it's hard to say so in my um, PhD research I was following 30 dairy farms in the southwest and now like five different action groups. They range from about five to eight farms in each. And I'd probably say eight, getting towards eight is better because you don't, it's not compulsory to be at every single meeting and obviously life gets in the way certain times of the year, but it's a nice number for bouncing ideas with one another. But each person in that group had to host two times. So it was like everybody went round process once that's phase one and then it went around the process again phase two so i think that's if everyone posted every month which is quite a commitment that's why i'm gonna do a maths now that'd be like eight months that's like 16 yeah. months before you've even just done the whole process but i think uh if you've got a group that we like working together quite a big challenging goal to work towards you could easily do just a few meetings a year and still have that same group and just do it longer term but it's flexible ultimately it, I always think if you're not sure how it should work, ask the people you want to work, like who want to be in the group. 
Yeah, because I guess that's with the setting up of the group, one of the big questions we often come across because we're sort of in an odd shape of our, like geographically, we're sort of a long sort of L shape of a practice, is is it the distance people travel or is it that actually they're all doing a similar thing? So they're either all block carving or they're all organic mm-hmm. or they're all this, which... which um, again, it will depend on the group. So for one thing I did learn from PhD was the whole thing about recruiting and engaging farms in these kind of structures. And ultimately, people that want to work together uh, are going to do better. So if you could get a group that are geographically close and they take like an environmental goal, for instance, so they want to do some like landscape scale, uh, nature recovery, then that really does benefit them all working together in that vicinity, neighbours, but that might be tricky considering how well you get on with your neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> Even on like biosecurity, actually, they're not quite useful. But equally, you might get a group that really want to work on a, you know, like you say, a block carbon kind of performance efficiency kind of goal. And they would be happy to work further afield, but then that might hinder how frequently they meet. So if they have to travel like an hour to get to one of those farms, they just factor that in to the time commitment. But some people are really keen. Others are like, oof, no. <laughs> but then benefits still just as much. Yeah. Have you got any other hints and tips to setting up groups? Um, well, that was one of my top think about the geography. And I, I'm a big believer in mixing systems and even sectors. Like I've seen some really good stuff in the mix of organic and conventionals. Um, and the guys who I worked with who were, say, all year round, what they were learning off block carvers and vice versa was they said they never really get that opportunity. So don't be afraid to like mix systems and benchmarking mix systems. I know we get quite, you know, right so in some situations, quite strict about not comparing apples and pears. But I think for trying to get an idea of how you're progressing over time, the biggest thing is comparing yourself, but you'd see where you fit into a wider group because there are commonalities like, you know, it could be different dairy systems, but you're still dairy farmers. And if certain things like looking across sector or mixed systems, so pick on biosecurity as an example, but there's some great stuff you can learn from the poultry that could be transferable to the ruminant sector. And in, that's, yeah, in a lot of areas like environmental stewardship as well. Um, and often it's the same farmers as the sort of proactive ones that come to groups and they might happily, hopefully, be at the top end of some of these graphs. Whereas when you then compare them, say their fertility for an all year round is quite good. But if you compare them to a block, then they realise actually yeah. they can still improve. Yeah, exactly. That class is a good example, fertility. Um, the other top tip was easy for me to say because I've obviously done PhD in this, but um, is having the facilitator training and the or at least maybe starting off having a facilitator, someone who's done it before, so you can learn. Because it is a learn by doing. You can you can learn the theory and practice that way, but it's very much learning on the job. But having a facilitator in, which kind of frees you up as the vet sometimes to be a participant, which is quite nice. But then that helps you see like where which sort of activities you can do to get more out of people and discussion. Um, and there's lots of tips and tricks about how to communicate. Um, we're as vets trained to, be, to give advice, to be pedagogical is the technical term, but like a teacher to student in that way we um, communicate. But actually, if you balance it out a bit, it got equal. Being like, well, there's lots I can learn from you, and there's lots I can you can learn from me, and it's like a two way discussion, frame questions that way. Establishing groups or working with pivotal community members is the jargon. But 
sometimes vets aren't always the most like influential in the community, as I'm sure many of you are aware. But who is? <laughs> so you, you want to get them on your side. Um, now, there was a lady I worked with when I was doing my PhD called Sarah Bowl. She now works at King's A. She was an AHD knowledge exchange manager and she was vital and brilliant for this project. So she had her network of farms that she, that she had a good relationship with. Um, and by bringing her into the project, not only did I learn tons of her, but there was already that group of people who trusted her, didn't know who I was. Um, well, okay, I'm interested in the subject, we'll sign up. <laughs> yeah. So that, get, trying to find out who, who they are, and often they're farmers as well. And if you get them in your group and they share in their networks yes. and they bring them on with their mates. That's a lot more formalised a word as I call them, which is the sneezers. So <laughs> <laughs> the one person that say you do something well at, and then suddenly he's told everyone, yeah. and you're just doing a fraternity visit, and they're like, oh, by the way, can you do this for me? Because I heard you did it there, and it's magic. It's like, well, it might not apply to you, but I can look. Yeah. Whereas you can see that they've just, yeah, sneezed that explosion yeah. of excitement throughout it. Oh, great term. Not that one. <laughs> In New Zealand, they call them farmers of mana, which is a um, Maori term for, like, kind of influence or like, power. And, yeah. You know. Definitely getting the right people in the group, yeah, that you can, yeah, chat to as well, yeah. So, part of the facilitation, obviously, is to get involved with somebody else who's facilitating, particularly to see how they get out of those odd corners, which is quite, I think, everyone's nervous about to start with, yeah. It's getting out of your comfort zone, isn't it? But I think so many vets, well, most vets, got very good communication skills, so it's it's not too much of a leap, you just it's um. A mindset shift more than anything. I think you can learn the communication skills as you go along, but it's being comfortable not being there in your advisory given role. And sometimes that takes a sort of frank conversation with your clients. Say if you're doing an evening client club, you can say, like, look, I am your vet and I am your usually paid advice, but today I'm taking a different role and it's your knowledge and your expertise that we're going to be pulling upon not mine and I'll help when needed and required but you openly put the ball in that call um, and sometimes it has, you have to be frank and say it obviously so everyone's clear um, but that's ultimately what you're doing you are shifting a bit of the expertise and responsibility so some vets might not want to do that that's just not, not interested in that which is fine and sometimes group approaches facilitation are the key to some people or some subjects but they're definitely underused have a lot of impact so yeah it's thinking differently about how your role and then preparation now vets definitely can be good at this because you know hard working studious times um is preparation so there's this really corny phrase today's preparation is tomorrow's success um, and there's one of my colleagues in training up in facilitation at the moment, and I'm always like, it's all like 90% of it is before the event. You might look like you're not doing anything facilitating and you're listening and just a bit of coordination, but that's because you've done a lot of the groundwork. You know what questions to ask, you've planned a structure, which you always go off of anyway, but that's what allows you to have a plan, which makes you feel more confident. Having those questions ready, anticipating what people, like you were saying at the start, want and need. Um, and allowing and enabling that space for people to share and open up. Which you've done the preparation, we very hard to do on the day. Yeah, I guess it's the different form of preparation, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of just cramming everything you can into a PowerPoint, it's actually thinking it through and structuring it and yeah. thinking who's going to be there, who's going to ask what, um, 
and hopefully preparing you for if they ask this oh quick I'm going to go and research that because I don't actually know much about that yeah well then that's the yeah thinking you need to have a technical answer Um, and being a facilitator you're not allowed to give advice information and if the group ask you say like we really don't know this or we've identified this gap in our knowledge then yes you can input or you can bring someone else in that's even another more effective way of doing it um don't feel you always have to provide the answer there's like tips and tricks like um well let's see what the rest of the group think about that or do you think you know the answer what could that be how does that work like you throw back questions to them or say like anyone else know the answer to that and that is going to have much more clout than you saying it. Well, it might have been a bit of Yeah, and um, no, to be honest, they're probably what I found both of the groups in the PhD was that all that knowledge they were sharing about disease and health and knowledge they did have on antibiotics came from the vets. That, that's, they did take it in, even though you get frustrated in practice. And like, no, listen, it was all there. They knew the answer. Yeah, they don't know how to apply it. Yeah, exactly. Or there'll probably be a myriad of contextual factors that are yeah. stopping them, like whether it's markets and money and investment or it's social life, work life balance, mental health, environment, the, just the environment of the farm, like <laughs> so many other factors. Overwhelmed with them. Yeah, no, it's always interesting because maybe you can sometimes say on a health review on just an individual farm and you ask them what they're doing and they're saying the right thing and then you're like looking around and going well are we seeing the same thing because they, they do know the stuff it's just there are so many obstacles in the way which I guess is part of the whole motivational interview as well with the communications yeah. aspect that's um, a very overlapping situation definitely and really complementary um so a lot of those reflections and affirmations really useful skills in facilitating groups as well so if you have motivation interview and training put on that definitely you're facilitating groups yeah instead of just giving the advice then kicking back going well i can't do it because of this this and this yeah somebody else saying it another farmer saying it is a win (laughs) and then saying it to somebody else yeah i guess it's another win isn't it exactly when they start actually telling other people what you've been sort of hoping they would pick up and come up with themselves then before you're Tick success. Excellent <laughs> in the back. Yeah. So I guess that's some of the differences between the whole discussion group and action groups discussed. And then you just said about how we get stakeholders um, involved and that kind of aspect. Yeah. Something we've been doing a, a lot more um, in innovation for agriculture as part of this international project on antibiotic stewardship is what's called in the terminology multi-actor farm health teams, which is oh, another rolls of the tongue. <laughs> But as I simply see it, it's getting all the people that have an interest and stake in the farm together at one time uh, and coaching them through a process of change. So when we say the farm team, you might think, oh, you know, it's dad and son or father and husband and wife or whoever. But actually, it's much wider than that. You want just a student who does a couple of days a week. You want stock people. You want the farm owner, landowner, land owner, if you're a tenant farm. You want all the people in that farm management system and vets other advisors nutritionists feed and equipment reps everybody who like visits that farm and has an impact on how it runs so it could be quite a big group and as you can imagine quite costly which i'll come back to but if you can get all those stakeholders together and there's someone facilitating or as, as the, the european language first use coaching but coaching that process it allows everyone to be who they you know their role like be the vet be the farmer um 
in that discussion and you set your sort of collaborative work in decide how often and how you might meet um you get baseline data which clearly vets and co are really helpful for and you'd look at that and think well what what's been working really well what hasn't been working so well some of the weaknesses and gaps which is like a lot of the one-to-one vet at health planning discussions and you can bring in the motivational interview in there and then you through discussion and everybody having a voice and everybody sharing what they think could happen or what they think are the good points and bad points good news bad news sandwich you then co-create a roadmap a sort of action plan what you're going to do and you set goals and smarter targets for it and everybody agrees what their responsibilities and roles might be um and the host the main farmer who's responsible for it someone agrees to it all and then you monitor that progress and you might come back all together again a year or so whatever time later and i think following something like that it's much more formalized which I think vets are doing bits of that all the time, but it's really hard to get everybody together. And I don't know many practices that are doing that in such a formalised way. But I think there's a great opportunity with the Animal Health and Welfare Pathway coming up this year, which is a pay-for vet visit. But that could pay for the whole group to come together, potentially. Seems a bit imaginative for things. We've got some stuff online about it, which are, which are free resources for people to use, which I'd urge people to try something like that or adapting it to your you know situation and whoever you can get there some stakeholders is better than none um and you just touched on cost there is that um i guess across the stakeholder group but equally just setting up farmer groups i think vets are always afraid of that aspect yeah that is a tricky one I and mean, this comes up quite a bit so that multi-stakeholder sort of farm health team one of the big barriers we found when we were trialing that was who's going to pay for all these sort of professionals time and we're quite big believers in paying farmers for that time as well, sharing their expertise or uh, knowledge at things. So it's a critical thing to factor in, uh, which is why I mentioned the Animal Health and Welfare Pathway, whether that's funds that could be leveraged for this. Some places pay farmers to attend things, some charge to, for farmers to attend things to add value. Um, I'm not sure what is the best way, really. I think when you're starting up a group with new people, a new method, probably would benefit you not to charge a free thing and then it could be if, if the group will I'm very confident and um, people say this but we'll see the value in the approach <laughs> uh be so convinced of it they'll want to pay to continue it which then could be something that vet practices can build into their advisory services or if you've got those services where you're paying monthly as a client um it could include i don't know two, two or three more these kind of action groups or the multi-stakeholder groups in that so we pay up your time in facilitation basically which isn't zero <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess one of the other things is you've just touched on topic a little bit on the farm groups lame must be a good example if you've got any other examples so people maybe listening could say oh yeah that would fit for this farmer and that farmer just as ideas or how what are the first steps to getting a group going yeah um well I, the first one i'd say which is nice and easy is the antibiotics it's kind of got a little less uh, sexy recently isn't it it was, was a bit more sexier um just because it's a really easy thing for vets to collate the info the data and it, it kind of spins you out into all the different topics that vets can help with and that touch you know all for farming farm health uh, generally so i think that's a good start so you can have the, the data benchmarking and you can start those discussions we're just like talking about the cost of different 
medicines always is a nice conversation to start with there, uh, farmers. Um, and that's a nice goal to say, you like, you are at this antibiotic level, you get to that. Carbon actually is another good one like that, but that is a nightmare to record. So yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants a challenge, go for that one. That again spins your, your, your discussions off into the whole health of the farm and its impact on the wider scheme of things. Um, Biosecurity is another one I love, but I'd probably reframe it for farming community. That's not very sexy. No, <laughs> absolutely not. It's more like a um, farm health thing, and you, there's so many diseases that feed into that, but also like the buying and trading aspects and visitors to the farm, whether they're like dog walkers or the like South Rep, like all of these things. And it's a not really nice benchmarking tools for biosecurity. And they give you a score, internal and external, benchmark you across the world, loads of different farms that fill in the data set. So that's something we could share. Definitely open. Yeah, and I guess then you've got your lameness and mastitis for yeah. other sort of more targeted groups. Exactly. Um, to just get up and get started, really. Thank you for listening and hope this has inspired you to restart your farmer meetings or to create some new groups. As ever, if there are any topics you want to listen to, then please let us know. Look forward to hearing from you next time. Bye.